Okay, before we get started today, I'd like to make a quick announcement. Over the last several years, I have spent a lot of time working with investors just like you. Investors who have started their business, got it off the ground, got a little bit of momentum, but just don't know how to scale up from there. They don't know how to take a small business doing a deal here and there and really systemize it and scale it up in a profitable way. I have been helping people for so many years do exactly that. I did it in my own business first, and then I helped other people replicate that success in their business. And my announcement to you is that I am ready to help you do the exact same thing right now. I have developed a program that's called the Seven Figure Investor Blueprint, and it's called that because I wanna take you from wherever you are in your business right now and help you ramp it up into a seven-figure profit business. You can do this. I know you've told yourself that you wanna do it. And for whatever reason, it's just not working out. But I wanna teach you things like how to market, to find the best deals, how to analyze those deals, how to negotiate with sellers and wholesalers to get the best possible deals how to get those deals funded, whether it's private funding, hard money lending, whatever. I wanna help you understand the best way for you to fund those deals, and then how to structure those deals for maximum profit. And then finally, how to build a team around you. You don't have to do everything in your business. And in fact, you shouldn't be doing everything. I don't do everything in my business and it runs really, really well. In fact, it runs better when I'm not trying to do everything. And I wanna teach you exactly how to do that. All you have to do, if this sounds interesting to you, if this sounds like something that you must do in 2022 to reach your goals, go to sevenfigureinvestor.com. That's the word seven sevenfigureinvestor.com. Sign up. I want to help you this year achieve all of your business goals, but you have to go and sign up first. It's seven, the word seven, figureinvestor.com. I cannot wait to see you inside the program. We are going to do great things this year. I had no clue as a, you know, just a skateboard, snowboard, punk kid at 16, that that was the moment where I quit trading hours for dollars. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. All right. Thank you for joining me on the show. I appreciate it. Thanks for coming back. If you are a return listener, if you're brand new, welcome. Happy to have you. Uh, today, we have a great one for you. I have Chris Noggle on the show. Uh, and over the last 20 years, Chris has worn just a variety of business hats. He is a former Pro Bowl. Pro Bowl? No. He's a former pro snowboarder. Wow. I'm having a hard time talking. Uh, he's a pro snowboarder. Uh, former. He's owned several snowboard and skateboard shops. He's a former uh, skater kid, snow you know snowboarder, and uh, he started investing in real estate with his wife, doing flips and wholesales and all kinds of private lending. He even had a pilot on HGTV a couple of years ago. Uh, the main hat he wears now is Money Mentor, and he loves to talk about what to do with your money. What do the Rothschilds do? What do the Rockefellers do? What do the Morgans do? What do people do who have just crazy wealth? What do they know and what are they doing that you don't know and you are not doing? Uh, Chris is a nationally recognized speaker, 
author and podcast host. And he's he just so you know, at the end, if you listen to the end, he does give you some free resources, including three books that he wrote that you can get for free. Just an amazing resource, amazing brain. This guy is very smart. He knows what he's talking about. So pay attention and get ready to take notes. I give you guys, without any further ado, Chris Noggle. All right, Chris, thank you for being on the show. I appreciate your time and I'm excited to talk to you. Yeah, man. Thanks. It's a real honor to be on and I'm excited to deliver some stuff to your audience. All right. Me too. I, and you're the guy to do it for sure. So, uh, but, but for folks who don't maybe know who you are, let's just back up and talk a little history here. Uh, go back and, and give us a sense of who you are, uh, how you got started in, in any business. Because I know you've been doing this since the age of 16. Like You've, you've been uh, generating revenue since at 16. I got to tell you, I was doing nothing productive at all. So hats off to you. I'm super impressed. Uh, but what did you do back then at 16 and what made you even interested in entrepreneurial life? Well, you know, it's weird. Entrepreneurship was a different thing for me. It was more just I needed money. Uh, Back when I was a kid, I grew up in a lower, lower middle class family. My dad was an alcoholic and my mom pretty much raised me. And I grew up in one of those households, like so many people, that was scarcity. Shut the lights off. We're not heating the outside. But I watched my mother Every time she needed something, she was a very good saver. And I learned how to save from her. So when I was 16, I had been working since 14. I worked on a farm with my best friend. So we made money to fund our dirt bikes and things like that with that money. But when I was 16, I got a real job working at a restaurant. I mean, everybody laughs about that. But when I worked at that restaurant, the owner of the restaurant degraded me and, and treated me so poorly wow. that I, I got clinically depressed at 16 years old. It got to a breaking point. You know, every, people can only handle something so, so bad so long. I came in one day and I quit. I had no clue as a, you know, just a skateboard, snowboard, punk kid at 16, that that was the moment where I quit trading hours for dollars. I went home and I told my mom, kind of cowering, thinking she was going to be mad at me. And I said, mom, I quit, but, but I, cause I had a plan, but, but yeah. I'm going to open a clothing line in the basement and that's how I'm going to make money. I'm going to make shirts with Mr. Mahalski, the art teacher at school. I'm going to sell them out of my backpack and that's what I'm going to do. And thinking she was going to be mad saying, no, that's a stupid idea. Like yeah. everybody else in my family would say, yeah. she said, that sounds like a great idea. So right then and there, this is no, this is 1992. I became an entrepreneur. Okay. And I started making t-shirts with my art teacher. I sold them in, in the hall rooms, you know, of school. I had friends that I would then have come on and then they would sell my shirts and for their efforts, I would give them free shirts and hats. Wow. And over the next year I built up, I don't want to say it was, it wasn't a big company by any means, but I was moving some clothing. I was having a ton of fun. And when I was traveling for my snowboarding career, because I was an amateur rider at that point, my big ambition was to be a pro snowboarder. I would see these shop owners that had, that I was selling my clothes that had what I envisioned at that point, the perfect life. I wanted to be a pro snowboarder. These guys, every day they woke up in their dream, they had their skateboard shop. And in the afternoon they went snowboarding and they had freedom. So I came back and that was never going to leave my mind. And that next led to me with one of the hardest parts of my life at 17 years old, I set out to open my first shop and that shop was going to be called fat man board shops. And it required 70 grand at 70 grand. I went around to every person I knew that had money asking and every person I knew that had money, including father and family members said, no, said, you're crazy. You're going to lose all your money. That's a stupid idea. My father said, come work at the factory, son. I'll get you an interview. I said, dad, that's not my destiny. And it resulted in me sending him cats in the cradle. I still cry every time that stupid song comes on. But my mother 
who had nothing. The only thing my mom had in the world was the house that she got in the divorce. That was all she had. And that divorce gave her a 700 square foot ranch where we lived. It had $75,000 in equity in it. My Mm. mother saw this dream fading for me and said, I'm going to put the house on the line so that my punk snowboard kid can chase his dream. And that's exactly how Fat Man Board Shop opened November of 1994. Now, being an entrepreneur took a real shape now because it wasn't a hobby. It wasn't just this fun thing I did in school. Now, mom's house was on the line. And that's how the rest, you know, I ran that store from November of 94 straight through to the day I sold it in 2010 after the Great Recession. It was one of the greatest experiences of my life. I ended up selling it. It's still around today. You guys could look it up, Batman Board Shops, that one of my competing snowboarders, because I did go on to be a pro snowboarder. They're still running it. And a lot of things spun off in there, you know, and the dot-com crash was the first recession I ever saw in my yeah. life. Didn't even know what a recession was, but I realized my business started dropping by the tune of 30%. Wow. I put, yeah, and when things happen, right, we make, we make pivots in our life. Well, mm-hmm. I was a kid. I was a snowboarder. I'm like, all right, well, I'll go deliver pizzas. To my luck at that time, to my you know, anger was Little Caesars was not hiring delivery drivers. So I put my resume out and the only companies that called me back were Wall Street firms. And I kept thinking, what the hell does Wall Street want to do with a punk snowboard kid that never put a suit on in his life? Right. But what they saw is they saw an entrepreneur that was a self-starter that had the ability to learn and they wanted me. And that's how I entered Wall Street. And I spent 16 years in Wall Street until I retired and sold my practice in 2018. And that was largely due to a lot of the things I saw. I got to a really high level. I was one of the top advisors in the firm I was in. And I saw a lot of things happening that I just couldn't get behind. And yeah. that's what inadvertently let you know ended me ending. And, and then I just went into real estate. And today I just teach people all the truths about money. All right. So lots of questions. Number one, I want to go way back to the beginning of your story. What, just out of curiosity, what did mom do for a living um, when you first said, I'm going to make shirts in, my, in our basement with the art teacher? Like, what, what did she do for a living at that point? Well, see, when my dad left, my mom had to make a decision because she was working in a corp- you know, corporate environment. Okay. She left her corporate job and she raised me and she started a daycare center okay. in her house. Okay. So that's that's what I did. I grew up with my mom running a daycare. It was a very small one, like gotcha. a couple of kids a day. And that's what she did. So okay. she wasn't really an entrepreneur, but she was, a, a, you know, she knew how to make things work. Yeah. So this is really sort of minutia, but I'm sorry. I, my brain is curious and I need to know. So when you were making those shirts in high school, what, what, did you buy a press, some sort of a screen printing machine or like, how were you making these shirts? So I, I was always like in school, I wasn't the smartest kid, but because I was an entrepreneur, I always took interest in things that applied to what I was doing. So I'd always had the ideas. I always loved, you know, art and printing shirts and my art teacher by chance, Mr. Mahalski, he had screen printing presses, a four Ah. unit screen printing press. So he could do four colors and I would stay after school and I would sit there and me and Mr. Mahalski would just print the shirts for, you know, the school yearbook or whatever campaign was going on. So I just used his printing press in the beginning. And then eventually I ended up, I never, I had a printing press, but I never had the time to spend printing shirts. So I always contracted it out. And uh, after Mr. Mahalski, when I started doing too much volume to do it after school, 
I just found a guy locally. His name was Mark Art, and he had a bird named Art, which is where the name came from. <laughs> okay. And I remember I used to just, I literally would go to this guy's shop and I would spend hours and hours talking about my vision, my dream, my designs. Yeah. And he would show me how we made screens and how screen printing worked. And I learned more from Mark Art than I did from anyone else. So that's, that's awesome. how I did it. I just right. contracted Last it. Last question about your your fledgling business back in high school. But what what did the revenue get to at its peak? Like what kind of volume? What kind of forget volume? Because I, I don't. I, I want to just tie it to revenue. What kind of revenue was that company seeing while you were in high school? Yeah. So you know, by the by the time I was seventeen, growth top line revenue was about one hundred and twelve thousand dollars. That wow. was the most that I ever made. But yeah. I, that's not what I took home. I yeah. literally probably made. 15 grand. Right. But I mean, that's what the top line yeah, was. That's awesome. Point. So cool. Okay. Next question. Going on to the Wall Street job. Did, did I didn't hear in there a college degree. So they hired you with a high school degree it just based off of what you had done to that point, like as an entrepreneur, or did you in fact get a, did a, get a degree in finance or did you have some background in that? I had no background in finance whatsoever. I was just okay. an entrepreneur. Gotcha. Um, I did go to I did go to college after high school, but college okay. to me was more like a trade school. I went. I didn't go to some fancy school. My, mm-hmm. I just didn't have the money to do that. Yeah. So I went to a community school, but I I got very close with the teachers in the classifications of business entrepreneurship. Yeah. And um, I, I I I seriously I say this all the time. I think I got a better education than a doctor gets by going to six years of school because I went there with one sole goal and that was to learn and apply immediately. So my teachers took that and I spent a lot of after school hours with them. So college, I did have two years, but Wall Street always wants four years. And and a lot of people know this. They only want four year degree people. I don't know why I was the exclusion. I don't know why that never came up. They always asked, but it never hindered it. And I think I have no idea. The managing partners just saw something. That's awesome. Very cool. All right. So I know we've got so much that we could cover, uh, but I want to respect your time. I know you've done a lot in real estate. You flipped houses, you've wholesaled, you've done all of that. But I think right now, and I, I shouldn't say I think, I know because we had a little conversation. Your passion right now is talking to people about wealth management, wealth generation. Like, What do the wealthy do that other people don't even know like how do the 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 like real institutionally wealthy generational wealthy people what are they doing with their money how are they generating it how are they investing it let's talk a little bit about that what have you learned in your time in business and on wall street and everything that you have your whole paradigm of your of your background what have you learned and what do you tell people that they should know and should be doing with their money Well, I've learned a lot and I've learned that 16 years of being in Wall Street taught me to be a salesperson, taught me how to sell commissions and earn fees for doing that. And what I... I absolutely don't do today is any of that. I don't manage people's money today. I teach them to be a good steward of their own money. See, we, we've been told the big lie our whole lives. Whether you believe it or not, whether you know it or not, you have been. You've been lied to your entire life when it comes to money. You've been taught to do one thing and one thing only, and that is give up control of your money. What mm-hmm. I teach from stages across the country, speaking with people like Ed Milet, Grant Cardone, Jesse Itzler, I teach you one thing, and that is how to take back control of your money. And it take taking back control sounds so cliche or, or just 
broad. Yeah. It involves changing one thing. And that one change is what I learned by studying the wealthiest families in history, from the Rothschilds to the Rockefellers, the JPs, the Morgans, the Walt Disney's, the Ray Crocs, the, the Doris Christophers, the Warren Buffets, right up to, you know, I hate to bring this into it, but the sitting president who does exactly what I teach. And I, I figured out that the wealthy do the complete opposite of with their money as what we do. They never give up control. And they also... They work very hard in most capacities, you know, during their working years, but they realize that working hard can only get you so far because right. you're always trading your hour, which has an infinite value. There's no, your hours prices, but we yeah. are taught to put a monetary value on our hour and trade that for that, you know, something. And then once we make money, we get the money. And just so those of you listening, I'm holding a hundred dollar bill. We make this money by trading hours for it. Then what do we do with it? We put it in the bank. And then what does the bank do? Do they put it in a little box with your name on it? Heck no, man. They take that <laughs> yeah. money and they move it. They make your money that you worked for go to work for them and they make a spread. Yep. Well, the wealthy do the same thing, but they don't give up control to the banks. They don't give up control to the 401k. They don't give up control to Wall Street. Their money is always in a cyclical pattern of control and it just moves in a circle. And you know what's on the left side of the circle? That one change. And that's where their money goes first. Hmm. Then what they do is they move their money around the circle to the right side of the circle. I'm trying to give you guys a visual. Sure. The right side of the circle is them making their money go to work for them. And that can be in a lot of capacities. Could be invest in the stock market. They could use it to invest in real estate. They could use it to lend and be a lender on real estate. They could use it to invest in crypto, anything. Anywhere yeah. where your money can go to work, they do that. But then they change one thing that we were never taught to do. Once they their money goes to work for them, it produces offspring in the form of interest, dividends, and gains. Yep. That interest, dividends, and gains, the offspring of their money working for them, doesn't then go into somebody else's control like we are taught. It then moves around the bottom part of the circle and lands right back in the same place it started. Picture that circle. Now, we just did a full cycle of money moving yeah. from where it started to where it ended. Imagine if every dollar of the money that a wealthy individual put into the right side of that circle, which we're going to deem that their bank. Okay, their privatized bank. Imagine if even when that money left that right side and went over to work for them, it never stopped earning interest. That is what I learned. And I learned it in a unique way. I learned it by two wealthy individuals, Mike and Greg, at a speaking event that I was at at the lowest point in my life when I had lost everything the second time in 2014. And when I listened to them, I couldn't believe my ears because what they told me was something so foreign so against the norm and so different than anything I'd ever learned. And I was 14 years into Wall Street at that point that I had to start questioning everything. And I did. And I dove down that rabbit hole and I started surrounding myself through masterminds and just, you know, finding any means necessary to yeah. be around multimillionaires and billionaires. And I started asking the same questions. What is it that they do with money? And I found this pattern that they all did the same thing. And that's what I teach today. But I'm also, one of the things I've also taken a lot of pride in is, I'm not an economist, but I am an avid studier of history and economics to a point where it just gets incredibly boring. But I literally have gotten so wrapped up into cyclical patterns of stock markets, of, of world orders, and, and just everything that comes down to where we're at right now today. Yeah. And it's so funny because everything I've learned over the last decade is coming to fruition right now, this, this day, where Russia invades Ukraine, we're seeing everything that has happened since the 1500s or before repeating that same cycle. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's just like, I finally, for the first time know, and through all my teachings of what I do exactly 
how to handle money, exactly how to be in the right place during something like this, and exactly how the wealthy don't lose money when everybody else does, how they get richer. Okay. So going back, and I want you, you said a lot there. There are a lot of stuff I want to go back to, but you talked about this circle, right? And in, in, in the left side, it's under your control, and then it goes to the right, it's earning dividends and, and interest and these types of things. And, and I'm not trying to like... Uh, boil this down to like a single thing, but is this are we, what you're talking about? Is it ever called infinite banking? Is that what we're kind of getting in the realm here? Correct. Okay. So that process okay. yeah. of that money moving is the infinite banking yeah. concept. But a lot of people think infinite banking concept is a product. It is not a product. It's yeah. a process. You can apply the infinite banking concept with a home equity line of credit, a 401k, a self-directed IRA, or a specially designed and engineered whole life. So, yep. you know, it's just the process that I'm referring to. Got correct. you. Okay. And is that accessible? Because folks listening to this show are, uh, they range between people who are like working nine to five and trying to start their side hustle all the way to people who have established real estate investing companies that are that's kicking off a lot of money uh, is that is that uh, process available to both ends of the spectrum or is it really more once you sort of have a certain amount of money available to you then you can really utilize that that's a good question some people if you were talking to them about it would say it's Oh, it's available to everybody. And I will disagree because I think it's only available to people that have started the process of following the laws of wealth. And law number one of wealth is one must be keeping at least one-tenth of the money that they make. In other words, you have to be saving 10% of your gross income. If you're not saving money today, the infinite banking concept is not going to work for you. It's just not. You're going to set yourself up for failure. So that would be the first thing. If you're not saving money somewhere already where you can change one thing and change where that savings goes first, then this concept doesn't work for you. But for people that are saving, people that do have, you know, the fortitude to save and also the fortitude to invest money, this is not an and or. This is just where your money should start. And then you invest. A lot of people are like, well, I can make more in the index than I can in that stupid whole life. And I'm like, of course you can. But why would you just you know, pick one or the other? You change where the money goes first. Then from there, you move the money into the index. Yeah. Now you're making money twice at the same time. You know, I, I spoke to someone about this a couple of years ago. It was the first time I heard of it. And I had this poor guy on the phone for an hour going, wait, 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 wait. That doesn't make... So- so you're telling me my money <laughs> earns interest even when it's not in that vehicle. Like Yes, sir. And he was but but it took me a long time. My brain wouldn't go there when I was first learning about it because like you said it was so foreign to me that I was like no, no, you're not understanding what I'm asking. And he and he was he was answering it, but I my brain wasn't even taking that as an option. So very very cool and I I I totally agree with you. That is absolutely um Unbelievable, and you're right. That's what that's what people with money do. That's what the rich have always done. Um, talk, let's talk a minute. You you mentioned this, and I want to give people. I, I always like like the high level concepts are awesome. But you said this could be done even in like a uh, l- uh, line of credit uh, kind yes. of a scenario. Can you give us like a real world like how, how does that work? I'm listening to this. I don't have a lot of money saved, but I have a house that's fifty percent equity, right? So I've got a hundred thousand dollars in my house. Like how do I apply this concept in a real world example? Yeah, it's one of the most relevant things right now because everybody's house is worth more than it probably ever will be in the next decade. So you got all this equity in your house, but that money that's in your house is literally just the same as lazy money sitting in rafters. It's it's money sitting on your couch while you're off working and that money's enjoying everything you work for. (laughs) That's what equity is. And until you take that equity out and make it go to work, it, that's all it ever will be. And eventually it will vanish just like it did in 08, yep. just like it has done every other recessionary period. So 
let's just use math, right? Let's just use the math. Let's just say you have $100,000 in equity and folks don't get hung up on the number. Just it's easy math. Yeah. You got a hundred grand in equity. You get a home equity line of credit or a home equity loan agreement that gives you access to that 100,000. However, to take that hundred thousand out costs you, let's just use 4%. So now you've got access to hundred grand, but it's going to cost you 4% interest if you use it. Mm -hmm. So the whole thing with the infinite banking concept, where this concept, this process could be applied is if we could use money at four, wouldn't it make sense if we had a place to put that money with very low risk with a secured asset? Because law number three of wealth is protect your wealth. And Ricky Bobby says it best in Talladega Nights. If you're not first, you're (laughs) last. That's right. Exactly. So in the real estate capacity where I lend a lot of money, if I had equity in my house and I took that out at 4% and I lend it at five, what is the spread there? 10 minus the cost of capital is four. Your spread is 6%. Mm-hmm. You literally just found a way to make 4% without having to work any harder, without having to work any longer, and without yeah. really having to take on a whole lot of risk because you're collateralized and in the first position. And then you take that 10% interest that's paid to you for doing that loan. And listen, this works for all things, but I'm just using real estate. And you take that 10%, you roll it back around, think of the circle, the bottom part of the circle, you're taking and recapturing that 10% interest. And all you do is you plop it back toward your home equity line of credit. What you've now done is you've refilled your bucket. The equity is now put back in that bucket. And now you have the ability to redeploy that money again. What some people would do is they would say, yeah, 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 but that's boring. I want to enjoy this. Great. Well, let's skim a little. If your spread is six, well, let's just say all we did is we just kept the spread, a portion of it. Let's say you kept 2% of the six or 3% and you blew that. You just went and enjoyed it for the fruits of your labor and you recaptured the the rest. You still are building wealth in a way that the wealthy do because you're building wealth without working harder. You're you're not trading hours for doing this. Your money is out working for you. The wealthy do that very well. That's what we don't do. We think that our money working for us is putting it into Wall Street, putting it into the banks, buying this, that, or the other thing. And then all of a sudden, what happens? We watch it erode, vanish, because we don't follow the laws of wealth. Absolutely. Okay. You mentioned current events, right? As we we sit here today, Russia invaded Mm -hmm. Ukraine. It just happened today, um, the 23rd or 24th of February. So what does... What do you anticipate? You've watched you've watched the cycles. You've seen history repeat itself. What does that mean for us and our money, our economy? Like, give me the ramifications that people can expect or maybe should expect to see as a result of what's going on economically. Well, I think the yeah econ- economically, and this is a way longer topic. So, yeah. folks, I got lots of videos on my YouTube that talk about the deep dark secrets. What, of what is what that I'm YouTube channel? Explain. Let's just say it right now while people are listening and engaged. What what, what is what is that YouTube channel? How do yeah, they get so there? So it's just the Chris Noggle and it's N-A-U-G-L-E. I, all my content is free, folks. Cool. I, I do this. I love it. So yeah. Just and we're going to put this in the show notes too. So I, it'll be there guys, if you're driving or something, so but okay, go ahead. Let's, let's try to unpack what just happened today. Really. When you think of this, this is just a game of dominoes. You set up all your dominoes. This is the first domino that goes down, but it's really not, but it's the first recognizable one that we really can quantify. Right. So Russia just invaded Ukraine. Most people are thinking, who cares? Well, did you see what it did to the stock market? The stock market one last time I checked was down 700, but you see it's been down for several days because the market's always building in potential risks. Mm -hmm. So we are now very close to a correction zone in the market. The market has been going bonkers since COVID. So COVID dropped 34% and then it skyrocketed in a all the way to where it is because of printing of money, monetary policy, and 
incredibly low interest rates and easy access to money. Everybody today feels rich. Their house is worth more. Their stocks are worth more. Their 401ks are more. Their crypto accounts. I mean, I don't need to tell you what they were worth. Now, all of a sudden, now what we're starting to see is the erosion of that, because I'll tell you, Everything that you've been seeing up to this point was smoke and mirrors. It wasn't even real. It was the equivalent of what happened in the roaring 20s, the equivalent of what happened in every single cyclical pattern. This one is different because we are at the end of the long-term debt cycle. We have literally been printing and printing and printing. So the debt capacity that this government has is one that is almost unfixable unless they drive massive inflation. And that's the only hope they have. But so I'm getting to Russia, Ukraine. Please follow along. But what just happened before Russia, Ukraine, the government was trying to find any which way to continue printing money under the modern monetary economic theory, right? Yeah, this this yep. false theory that they have. But the infrastructure bill didn't go through. So all of a sudden now, three or four trillion dollars that the government was hoping to have no longer is not there. So how do they keep propping this crazy bubble of a market up? How do they keep this economy growing when it's already fragile? You have to print money. It's the only way this system works right now. So what is the number one way throughout history since the Federal Reserve came into existence in 1913 that that the government has printed money? If you think war, then you're right. Every single war was a way where the federal or the Fed Reserve or the central banks, if you will, could print money to finance the war. Why is the U.S. going to get involved in the Russia, Ukraine thing? Resources, folks, duh, resources, and because they need a way to print money. This signifies, and and history will prove itself and we'll see what happens, but this signifies the start of what I would call the deleveraging or the downturn of all of this. You are going to see the markets continue to spin off. They can't stay where they're at. The Fed just did their minutes, and, and this all ties into this Russia thing. The Fed did their minutes, and what did they say? They said, first, we're going to raise interest rates. How many times? At that time, it was four, then it was five, then it was six, then it was seven. Seven times in 2022. Why? To curb inflation is what they want you to believe. But that's that, look over here, look over here. When they're doing something over here, folks, they need to get interest rates up. We're close to zero. And the interest rate lever needs to go higher because when this whole thing falls apart, they need to pull one lever first to stimulate the economy, and that's interest rates. If interest rates are close to zero, they got no ammunition in the gun. That's why they're raising rates. You think it's because of inflation. The government wants inflation. That's how they pay debt back at pennies on the dollar. Wake up. Inflation's a hidden tax. Secondarily, what else did the Fed say? The Fed said they're going to start tapering off the bond purchase, which means they're going to stop buying bonds from the US government in in mortgage-backed securities, which is immediately going to impact the stock market because now you don't have the the faucet turned full blast. So once they do that, that's great. That's already built in. The, The nail in the cross was when they said they're going to begin to unwind the balance sheet. And any business owner understands what a balance sheet is. There's assets and liabilities. Well, for the Fed, assets are some of the, the, the treasury bonds. To the US government, those bonds represent liabilities. The Fed said they're going to unwind the balance sheet, which means they're going to start selling some of their mortgage-backed securities, which are bonds or treasuries, into the open markets, the same place you and I trade. Yep. What that would be the equivalent of you? Anyone you see, any of you see this movie Spaceballs? Remember the part where the bad guy helmet pulls up to Earth, which they called another planet, and the ship turned into a maid with a vacuum cleaner and they hook it up to Earth and they start sucking the air out? Yeah. Unwinding the balance sheet looks just like that, except for what they're sucking out is the money that they just printed and put into the capital markets. If that doesn't signify the end of a cycle and the decline of the market, 
I don't know what else to tell you. We are on our way back down the other side. It's going to be a very rough ride, but it's going to provide the biggest opportunity of some of your lives. And for some of you, it's going to be a terrible, terrible ride. All right. So for the folks in real estate, which is essentially everyone listening, how do you think this will affect? And again, there's no crystal ball here, right? So, but but to the best of your ability, what do you think will happen in the real estate world? What how will this affect the real estate world? Right. I can do this really quick. So, real estate's a lagging indicator to the stock market. Yeah. We know the stock market's going down. It's happening today, right now, and it will continue. When the stock market goes down, real estate's very little. It doesn't have any effect, at least for six months. Now. Forget about 2008 because that was led by real estate. That was the only exception. But real estate won't really be too badly affected in the first six to eight months. However, when the Fed starts raising interest rates as fast as they're talking about doing it, that will have a dramatic effect on interest on, on real estate because everybody wants real estate. There's huge demand, but demand is because cheap money's out there. Yeah. When cheap money becomes more expensive money, when more expensive money becomes really expensive money by today's standards, all of a sudden, people won't want real estate as much. But yet everybody's trying to play real estate in a speculative bubble, thinking yeah. it's going to go up, up, and up, and up. It's not. I Here's my prediction. If you're in real estate, keep doing real estate, but play the game right. The only game you should be playing is the income game, the rental game. And you should be stress testing whatever you buy to the tune of 10 to 15%. Can your property sustain if rates, if your rental roll drops by 10 or 15%? Yeah. I see pro formas all the time for lending and they're showing increases in rent 6% every year. I wouldn't even like, we're, we're done. Yeah. We're not even talking anymore. You're, yeah. you're delusional. You stress test it, but rental will be fine. But just understand if you need to exit that property inside the next decade, let's just say to be safe, you are not going to sell that property for the same amount you paid for it. If you're like, it doesn't matter. I'm just playing the rental game. Game on, man. Buy as many properties as you can using the low interest rate mortgages you can leverage today and right off into the sunset. But if you want to exit anytime in the next five to 10 years, man, it's going to be a, it's going to be a, yeah. it's going to be a bad day. Yep. Totally agree. There you go. Totally agree. And you know, it's funny, you talk about the speculation. I, I think if, if you've been, if you're over the age of 35 or 40 and you are using speculation as part of your business model in real estate, you are crazy. Uh, those are the folks that got hurt real, real bad back in 08, 09, right? So spec, I, it just, I never do. I never would. I can't, I can't use that. Uh, appreciation can't be a big part of my play. Uh, but as far as real estate, Gosh. so, you know, people have been kind of predicting this thing was going to continue. It was not going to continue to rise. And, and we're kind of having that conversation now. Uh, again, I, I'm just, I'm sort of using you as as my uh, as my fortune teller here, and I know you're not. I get it, right? No, nobody. Please don't reach out to uh, to Chris and, and yell at him if this doesn't happen. But what do you, you can, think is it the will worst? Happen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What do you think the worst case scenario, in your opinion, as far as house values, the drop that we might see in the next twelve to twenty four months? What, what does that look? What What do you conceive could happen? Because do, do you think it can go as low? Like, can it do what it did in 08, 09? Is that really realistic? Or are we talking about more of like a, a moderate drop? Yeah, that's a great question. I get asked this every single day, so I'm pretty versed in it. I don't think you're going to see what happened in 08 because you don't have the risky drivers in the yeah. banking world like yeah. you did in 06, 07. It's still there more on the commercial side, but you just don't have that element. So you're not going to see probably what was the same as 2008. It, 
you could, but I'm just going to, I'm going to play sure. the optimistic side there, but you definitely are going to see probably between low side, 10% up to 20, 25% decline in the asset prices. I don't know if that's going to happen in 12 months, but 24 sure. months, highly probable. Okay. And and then the other thing you got to do is you got to understand is, you know, the United States is a big country. Like not every area is going to be impacted the same. Yeah. If you are buying in Florida, yeah, you'll see some impact, but like the political reasons people are moving to Florida are going to continue to drive, I would even say even more so, yeah. more people to go to Florida and Texas. So I I got to, if I'm placing my bets, man, I'm putting them on Florida and Texas. They're still going to have some fallout, but nothing like the rest of the country. Yeah. New York, where I live, one of the, I think the second worst state you can possibly live in, man, get your money out of New York. Like I've been <laughs> selling as many of my rentals as I can. I've got yeah. 14 left out of 91 and I, I wish I had zero. Yeah. And I am not flipping any house. I have three flips going, but they'll be gone here really soon. If you're playing the flick flip game in California or, or the speculation game in California, Chicago, New York, many other states, you are screwed because you're yeah. going to be upside down pretty quickly. Yeah. The speculation game is such a stupid game. Honestly, I just can't. I don't understand people who do it after the history that we've been through. Well, listen, Chris, well, it's easy I to understand why they do it. They do it because they've not known anything else. Yeah. It's been such a long bull market. You got to remember a lot of the people that we're talking to right now in real estate, they're, they're younger than me. I'm 44. I don't know how old you are, but they haven't seen yeah. a recessionary period. And You're maybe right. they remember people talking about it, but they don't realize yeah. it. So they only know everything going up. So speculation yep. is just their only thing ingrained. And unfortunately, they're going to learn some hard lessons soon. You're right. I should I should qualify my statement. Anybody over the age of 40, 45 who does the speculation game is crazy. They're absolutely yeah. nuts. But yeah, you're right. Younger folks, they've only known this. It's just been We've been, you know, it's been a rising market basically for a decade now. So uh, I get how they could think that. But, you know, I, I could talk to you all day about this stuff. I think it's super important. Like I've get on, I get on here a lot of times with people that I'm interviewing and, and it's like we're talking wholesaling and flipping and technique and how do you buy, find contractors and blah, 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 blah. But we don't talk enough about all this money you're making flipping. What do we do with it? How do we not lose it? How do we not squirrel it? Like, Money is not made, in my opinion, to be, like you said, thrown in a bank or put under your mattress or sitting in equity. I'm totally with you. I, I think your money should be working for you. And some of the folks listening to this are are making a lot of money and, and they need to know what to do with it and how to how to appropriately uh, utilize that money so that it works for you all the time. So I, I couldn't uh, I couldn't thank you more. If people want to get into your world, we already talked about your YouTube channel, but what, how else can people find out more? You said you have a lot of videos that were for free and, and a lot of training and stuff. How can people find you? Where should they go? Yeah, it's a great question. So YouTube is definitely the best source. Okay. Not Chris Noggle. All my videos are so in light of what's happening right now. But if we, we were talking about the infinite banking concept and the privatized banking, you know, I'll give my book away for free. Just go to oh. chrisnoggle.com. You can have this mapping out the millionaire mystery. It's all about the infinite banking. And not only that, I got another book you can have for free. This one teaches you how to get all the money back for the cars you buy and private money guide, which is obviously about private money. All those books are free on my website. Nice. Just go to chrisnoggle.com. And, and the only thing I would I would tell all of you to do, there's, there's no sale here. It's all I do is teach. On my website, website, a video will pop up. It's 90 minutes. If you truly want to change your financial future, spend 90 minutes watching that. 
Like I just gave you a bunch of my time for free and time is priceless yep. for me. It's priceless for all of you. Yeah. Watch that 90 minute video. It will change your life because it changed mine in 2014. That'd be the biggest thing I could give as a gift to all of you. Dude, that's awesome. The video is, is, is amazing, but giving away the books, it's just, it's awesome. Clearly you care about giving back, teaching. And if anybody listened to this entire interview and doesn't think that you are an expert in this field, they weren't listening closely. So <laughs> oh, uh, I could go deeper. <laughs> dude, I know you can. I can tell, man, you're raring to go. But uh, I want to respect your time. So I want to thank you for taking the time because I'm 100% with you. But to answer your question, I'm 51. So I, I know t- time is 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 has infinite value in the fact that I'm sitting here talking to you. And more importantly, you're sitting here talking to me. Uh, that's priceless to us, right? So uh, thank you for that. I appreciate it. And I know my audience has benefited from having you take the time and and be generous enough with your time. So thank you very much. Uh, I look forward to talking to you in the future. And guys, go to the website, chrisnoggle.com. Go to the YouTube channel, thechrisnoggle.com or uh, YouTube, I guess. uh, And check out his stuff because uh, we need to know, we need to be smarter. We're getting, we're always trying to get smart about making money, but we're not always as a community real estate investor smart about what to do with it once we get it, right? And so go there and find out and uh, and let's let's make some real wealth for each other. And uh, yeah, man, thank you. I appreciate your time. You nailed it. It was an honor and a privilege. All right. Thank you. All right. That was a lot of fun. Chris is obviously a super smart guy. He knows a lot about wealth generation and wealth multiplication, if that's an actual term. Uh, he knows what to do with money and uh, he knows what the rich know. So uh, it's something we don't talk enough about probably in on this show or any show for that matter is uh, we talk about generating wealth all the time, like generating revenue, but we don't talk about building wealth, you know, as a product of, of what do you do once you get that money. And it's just a huge, huge thing that we all should be concerned about and thinking about. Um, and so hopefully you go and check out all of his free resources. I mean, how cool is that? He gave us three books for free uh, and a 90 minute video on wealth. So guys, go and check it out at chrisnoggle.com. We have everything in the show notes that you need to know. Uh, also, if you're interested in learning more about generating revenue and building your real estate business, please, please go check out my program, sevenfigureinvestor.com. That's the word seven, sevenfigureinvestor.com. Go check it out. I want to help you grow your revenue. And then you can take that and do what the Rockefellers do and what Chris teaches you. So go and do that. Make this year the year that you change everything for yourself. Don't keep making excuses. Now's the time. Go after it.